Welcome to Ono, Ross, and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal, but take part ourselves. Yep. When they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm Ross Blotcher. And I'm Carrie Poppy. And today, we have shown up at the home of Professor Phil Zuckerman. Phil Zuckerman, welcome. Thank Welcome to my home. <laughs> yes, it's a beautiful home. He's provided us with beers. We're bad Mormons already. <laughs> oh, it's true. So, I could have ruined you with hot tea, but... Oh, uh, yeah. You oh, know. you know well, your oh, stuff. I, I mean, not any, people think it's hot coffee, but no hot liquids. Right. No They're warm, bad they're for the bod, body and belly. Doctrines and Covenants verse... Oh, 89 know. verse 9. Wow. Oh, yeah. Oh, Very well done. Nice. Thank you. Thank I didn't you. remember that. Very um, nice. Well, actually, that's a recurring theme on our show is that Carrie lives for hot drinks. I love hot drinks. So you got her all excited just by mentioning How that. How do you live in Utah in the winter and not be, like, drinking hot drinks? But that's you know what? They've got workarounds, though, because they do drink hot chocolate. You mm. can drink hot chocolate because that's not a hot drink. And a certain mm. type of tea, like a organic herbal, decaf, herbal, herbal tea. tea. There you go. Yeah. Wow. So, that yeah, they've got little workarounds. But they have no explanation for why those are exceptions. You don't need to explain God. <laughs> so yeah, we didn't we didn't tell you the story. We are actually technically Mormons right now. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. We've been baptized? Yes. Yeah, yeah we, we did a six-month <laughs> undercover investigation, became Mormons. Yes, um, so we are still are officially Mormons. That is yeah. amazing. And we still both will go, well, Ross goes more than I do, but yeah. we'll still both go to Mormon church, and they all know. We've told them about the show. Yeah, um, that's amazing. Still yeah, our friends great. and everything. Yeah, you don't great. wear undergarments. No, well, not we wear temple. undergarments. <laughs> but... <laughs> no, we wear. Oh, you wear undergarments. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> they don't protect us from fire. No. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, not temple cool. garments. Yeah. Well, what would be the undercover aspect of coming to my home? Uh, nothing. It's just <laughs> nothing. that we've shown up so other people don't have to. You, you can't pretend to be secular Jews. Oh, we can. We certainly can. I'm a quarter if that Jewish. will please you. Yes. My I mother's think we mother should is have Jewish. A, oh, mazel tov. Okay, I think we should have <laughs> a like a secular Jewish ceremony to make you secular Jews. Yes. Nice. Okay, what do we do? Please. Well, let's see. You said you liked Kandinsky. I do. You're in. And, <laughs> and, I do too. Okay, and you said you're grandmother's neighbor was Jewish? No, no, my mother's mother was Jewish. You're in? Yeah, yeah. Oh, he is Jewish. Wait a minute, if your mother's mother was Jewish, you're Jewish. you are 100%. Yeah, Israel, right, I can it's... claim as my homeland. Oh. That's right. I mean, you may not even qualify for secular Jew. Do you I'm celebrate right. Christmas? I do. You're in. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's awesome. All right, let's go. All right. All right, so, but uh, Professor Phil Zuckerman, before we start asking you questions, some people, some people not in the know like we are mm. might be saying, who is Phil Zuckerman? Oh, yes. The, you there know, the losers. Sad, sad people that we have to explain this to. <laughs> okay. I'm a professor of sociology at Pitzer College, which is one of the five Claremont colleges in Claremont. But mm -hmm. I have mm -hmm. been able to add a new subheading to my title, which is Professor of Secular Studies. Oh, that's oh, right. Because the first secular studies department in the world. Hey, right, that's what I, I so, read that. That's amazing. Yeah, Congratulations. So that's fun. Yeah. And did you spearhead the movement to I bring... did. I Wonderful. got the, I got it off the ground. I mean it wasn't just me. I had three colleagues. we had to have four colleagues to form the program. 
And I also teach as a guest professor at the University of Aarhus in Denmark every now and then. Oh, great. Like every few years I go back to, De well, I've done it, I've spent two years in Denmark and I have an affiliation there. Oh. I was going to ask you later because you talk yeah. so much about the Scandinavian yeah. countries, but yeah, you, you do go there. I've spent two years there. And then I guess I'm also in a Red Hot Chili Peppers video, so. What? What? Red back up, back up. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to, yeah. I don't Hold have on. any more questions except I should tell know, me I about. I should have saved that. Yeah. <laughs> I should have held You just up. played your card. I did. I mean, now there's nowhere to go. No, there is. You just don't know. Oh, yeah? Oh, um, Yeah. Let's see. When I was a teenager, the Chili Peppers were just like a Hollywood band. They were like a big Hollywood mm, band, but they sure. just played at the Roxy. They played at the Whiskey. Mm -hmm. They played at those kind of places. And my really good close friend, Michelle, was sleeping with Flea. Uh-huh. And yeah. so, and we were going to all the shows. And then one day, only when their second album had come out, Freaky Styly, mm -hmm. produced by George Clinton, Dick Rude who was the bald punker in Repo Man, if you ever saw that movie. Uh, it's no. A okay. classic. Okay. Can I say that? I don't know. Yes. yes. Um, so he was directing Catholic Schoolgirls Rule. Anthony calls Michelle's answer machine and is like, Michelle, we need you and your friends for a rock video. Come to this address <laughs> in Hollywood. Oh my God. We were like, are you kidding me? We go down. <laughs> We, I was a, a choir boy. Michelle was a Catholic <laughs> schoolgirl. Oh I'm in the word. front row. That's very appropriate. I, I had lots of hair, and <laughs> I had Taco Bell with Flea, and it was really My cool. My goodness! It was just a one-day shoot for us, and okay. then the video was up, and then I was on stage at the next show at the Whiskey. It was really cool. And you didn't hit the cutting room floor. You're in the no, video. Oh. I'm the best part of the video, okay, what's, other what's, than Anthony's naked girlfriend, which is pretty good. Whoa! What's the song? Catholic school girls rule. Okay, there you go. Can we find this on the YouTube's? Oh, anytime. Yeah. <laughs> if it's not there, we're putting it well, on YouTube. Yeah, it's on we're my gonna... Facebook page. If not, <laughs> we'll have to add this to the show links. Oh, then. for sure. Oh, oh yeah. for there sure. you go. There and you it's, go. it's full of blasphemy. I mean, that's the funny thing. I've actually shown it in my class oh, as an nice. example of like contemporary blasphemous culture. All so. right, oh, required great. study materials, listeners. <laughs> yeah, because oh. it shows Anthony as Jesus. It's really good. Nice. And wow. yeah. Okay, and, so and you're not gonna get a question in edgewise with me. You understand? <laughs> That's okay. I'm like tired and I've got a beer. That's okay, this is all good. <laughs> okay. One other thing people might know you for is your writing. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, you remember. Okay. You've written several wonderful articles and okay. two books, right? Let's see, I have published four books. Oh, okay. Oh my And sake. the first one was about the Jews of Oregon. Okay. The second one was about like the sociological study of religion in general. Mm -hmm. And then my third one was Society Without God, which was right. my, my, okay. my breakout book. That okay. was the one that got me mm. like speaking gigs and shit. And then my latest one is Faith No More, just came out, Oxford University Press. But you know, all four are really academic. Mm -hmm. mm. So the exciting thing is I just signed a contract 10 days ago with Penguin. <gasps> Congratulations. They, they came to me and they were like, we want you to write like a popular book for the mass audience of America. Can you do that? Oh, nice. fantastic. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so that's what I'm working on now. Oh, congrats. So, and what will that one be on? Do you know? Yeah, it's on secular Americans great. and kind of non-religious people and how they live their lives without that's religion. Great. And I mean, the whole, the, like the premise is sort of that, you know, religion provides a lot of things for people. It does. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. community, rituals, raising kids, ethics and morals, or so they say. And so uh, my question is, um, okay, well, there's millions and millions and millions of non-religious people more, growing every 
10 years more and more. So how do they get those things? Mm. Right. Mm -hmm. How do they construct moral frameworks? How do they raise their kids? How do they find community? They don't. You know, right. <laughs> so that's what I'm looking at. It's a lot of fun. Great. Well, now we've established that you know what you're talking about. So. Okay. So recently we joined a group of Pan-Africans who meet to talk about the unification of Africa. Okay. You know, issues related to that, political ones, but also... Uh, it seems the main focus, at least in the meetings that we were there, is to talk about the origins of uh, the monotheistic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Okay. And um, give reasons for why they're man-made, why they're mm -hmm. imaginary religions. So, yeah, it's a group of African-Americans who don't buy traditional religion. Amazing. Well, not all African-Americans, though. We were there. Uh, but we are all Africans. Yes. I was going to say, like, far enough back. Oh, yeah. yes, yes, indeed. Indeed. That's where yes. we all come from. And then Dr. Quadwo Bang, who led the meetings, was a minister in the Jehovah's Witness Church. Oh, for yeah. 50 for years. 50 years. Huh. Which, yeah, we don't understand either because he looks like he's 40. Yeah, he doesn't we don't look get yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about Joe Obang. Yeah, I know. Are you sure it wasn't 15 and his yeah. accent didn't throw you because... He's saying no, 50. I mean, I know people how old he is because he was the, one of the people I interviewed for my book. Maybe we heard wrong. I, I know Maybe. that he couldn't have been a minister for 50 years. Okay, yeah, it seems... That impossible. would make more sense. He yeah. could have been a he could have been a Jehovah's Witness for fifty years. That's for sure. Okay. All right. Well. Then, All right. Then we're revising what well, we said earlier. Clearly, we don't know what we're talking about. But since you well, he do, said it, and I don't know. Okay. Yeah. The reason we thought of you was because we read in his voluminous book, you know, seven hundred seventy-two pages. Yeah. We read in the acknowledgments your name. Oh, that's right. I got you. I remember him. And so super we, nice guy. Yeah, I mean, oh, one of definitely. the nicest people I've ever... I mean, Absolutely. I've interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people, and I mean, he was a joy. I interviewed him right here in my backyard. Oh, really? Oh. And he was such a sweet man. He is. Yeah. And and we approached him after one of the meetings, and mm -hmm. we said, we share a, a friend, yes. sort of. Did he remember <laughs> so, me? Yeah, yeah, okay. he did. And he said that he had sent you his manuscript when he was writing it, and he said... Oh, uh, yeah, Mr. Zuckerman, he was really nice. He was very concerned that the writings were anti-Semitic. Yeah. Well, I think yeah. he said that you'd yeah. suggested certain things that he should rephrase. Yeah. He made the mistake that a lot of people make. He just read the Old Testament <laughs> and was like, well, look what the Jews do. And it's like, that was three, two thousand years ago or, you know, and mm -hmm. it's a totally different culture today. And, and I uh, tried to explain that to him and, and he, I think he got it. I mean, I don't think he has an anti-Semitic bone in his body, but, but the writing, I was just like, dude, mm -hmm. people are not going to take too kindly to this if you call like Jews genocidal maniacs or something. I mean, <laughs> sure. It's just not going to yeah. sound good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, even though it's totally fine to say, you know, the, the ancient Israelites, according to the Deut Deuteronomy, slaughtered the Midianites or whatever. I mean, oh yeah, totally. But, right. Phrasing is important. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just little things. So. Mm. Yeah, we noticed while we were there that, you know, we'd be sort of in agreement for a really long time, and then he'd just suddenly say, like, death to Christians or something. <laughs> or, de or, or death to Islam, yeah. death to Judaism, <laughs> like, death to Christianity. Oh. And be like, whoa, whoa, oh, yeah, wow. if I hadn't heard everything else you just said, I would think you were, you know, wow. a little crazy. Right, right. And now I think you're That's just slightly. To me, he's just like an extraordinary man. I mean, what he's been through... The book Faith No More was about like, you know, people who are religious who then give it up. And I want to know how that happens and why. Yeah. And, and I heard not mundane stories, but well, it was a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And, you know, like, and then I heard some like incredibly dramatic stories of people whose lives were just really devastated by religion or devastated when they left religion. Like, you know, really dramatic shit. And, mm -hmm. and his was 
easily one of the more kind of like blow me away stories wow. where I mean he was just a totally committed Jehovah's Witness right and I mean his whole life was devoted to it he wanted to go to med school they told him don't the world's gonna end so he didn't oh my god they told oh, you know wow. they fixed him up with a woman to marry he had a really rough life that was a result of his Jehovah's Witnesses involvement even though it was his whole world I mean I'll spare you the details but he hit rock bottom and mm. he was like Suddenly he was just sitting there going like, wait a minute, I've, I did everything right. Right. Like we're taught that Jehovah mm. is Lord and we're his, you know, people yeah. and we're his witnesses. And he, so if I've done everything right, it's not, why is up. my life a total nightmare yeah. on all fronts? And I mean, I think that's a question all religious people at some time face when things don't go right and they have to kind of figure it out. I mean, it's a classic dilemma. It was shattering for him and then he really just like totally became a you know mostly secular person mm -hmm. and he picked himself up by his bootstraps in yeah. a big way yeah. spiritually emotionally personally psychologically and and he's just like emits a kind of joy like a, he was just so full of humor and vivacity mm -hmm. and right. passion and inter and he's so smart it's a lot a lot of it like self-educated mm -hmm. he's funny only, too but, yeah he's yeah, funny yeah. and i mean like it was like he had emailed me i think he had read society without god i'm not sure but you know he emailed me we started an email correspondence back and forth i read some of his book i gave him some comments you know back and forth back and forth and then I, then then i was like hey could i interview you for my book and but so it was like when, when he finally came over it was like he walked in the door and he just laughed for like five minutes. And it was like really sweet. It was just like the joy of finally meeting or something. Wow. It was cool. But so then the other disagreement we had, like, you know, I had some issues with his writing style and presentation, sure. whatever. I, you know, and I tried to give him honest feedback. But the other one was, you know, he, I don't know if he says where he's at now, but he actually believes in a, in an architect. Okay. Yes. Yes. We, we talked to and him about And I would write this. to him and I'd say, well, Joe, I don't quite understand. You, you, you know, you critique. Judaism mm -hmm. and Christianity and Islam for mm -hmm. having claims that have no evidence and how, you know, but you believe in, in the grand cosmic mm -hmm. deity. I mean, right. okay, so you don't call it Allah or God, but you do believe there's a creator out there. And, and his response was, well, yeah, I mean, look at the universe. I mean, it was like the yeah. standard, right. like, look at the world. Argument I from just design. Come from nothing. Yeah. Right. And yeah. it was like, well, that's fine for you to believe, Joe. I believe what you want. You're a, you're a deist or you're a, you know, like you're, you believe in something. You're not really... You know, and I wasn't saying that as a put down. I was just kind of saying like, well, yeah, you know. that's a matter of clarification. And I was kind of saying like, people are going to be a little confused when you when you critique all these religions, and then you're like, but we know that the, if you've read, you know, if you right. get to page four thirty five or something, it's like, well, the, actually, it's the architect it's very like near the beginning. Chapter yeah. three. You know, it's and, just like, well, well, yeah. then it's just another religion. I and suppose. we came out of the first couple of meetings confused about that because okay. they would be offering libations and kind of welcoming Ooh. the ancestors to, Ooh. you know take part in the meetings and you know talk, talking about you know how our african gods are older and predate the uh, judeo-christian and islamic gods and so we're unsure like is he saying well then we should ditch the monotheistic gods and go back to these other mm -hmm. ones and ancestral worship yeah. what do you really believe and yet we did ask him point blank would you say you're a deist and he said yeah yeah okay and well, he, his, uh, the argument he gave us was actually that the human brain is so complex mm. it can't have come come from nowhere. And I'm making I'm making scare quotes with my fingers when I say right. that. Yeah, and then you know when we talked about evolution, he said, well, you know, science can't explain everything. So.
Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Dot, but, dot, dot. But we figured he's done so much reforming of his beliefs. He gets yeah. a, you know, get out of jail free card. Also, we were having this conversation while eating fried plantains, which was so pleasing nice. that he could have said almost anything. <laughs> who's going who's gonna to interrupt a man <laughs> right. when you're eating fried, who's giving right. you fried plantains? Right. Yeah. Wait, well, I have a sociologist here. Let me ask you. Okay. Yeah. There is Catholicism, Mormonism, yeah. mm. you know, other noun forms of these beliefs. What is the noun form of Jehovah's Witnesses' belief? Yeah, I don't know. Jehovah's Witnessism? You know what? Let's coin a term. Exactly. I think it's a lingu- linguist who would actually be playing this. Instead of <laughs> okay. Me. Yeah, I mean, we don't say Muslimism or Islamism. We don't... I, I, I don't mm-hmm. know why certain why certain reli- religions get that ism and others don't. I mean, and even Mormonism... They don't use that and ever. It does, and mean. it doesn't have to be an ism, but like a noun form, you know, yeah. like Christianity or Islam. But well, Latter-day Saints do use Mormon. Okay. Yeah. I but mean, they, don't, they don't say, like, I believe in Mormonism, do they? They generally say, I'm LDS. They usually say, I'm LDS, but there's actually this big campaign, I'm a Mormon, going oh, on right, right now. That's true. So I we did ask them that early okay. on in our meetings. Like, is it okay to say Mormon? Ooh. You prefer Latter-day Saint? They say, oh, no, we're Mormons. Oh, okay. That's but, good to know. But anyways, it's... But, uh, yeah, I don't know why. I'm, I'm probably unusual, but, like, you know, I'll often be trying to refer to Jehovah's Witnesses' beliefs in a sentence, and I'll run into that yeah. lack of a word. Oh, uh-huh. But it's a little bit like... You're Swedish and Polish, but French and Italian. Right, mm. sure. Like, why isn't it Italianish? Right. Oh, right. You know, right. it's Finnish, it's Scottish, it's right. British, sure. but then, then it's you've suddenly got German. Dutch. Well, yeah, come Dutch. on. As a professor of sociology of religion, uh-huh. how common do you think in the African American community these? apostates are is that do they run into a a much harder the common understanding is that you know african-americans have a much lower incidence of secularism Uh, that's what the data shows yeah no no question about it that you know there's always you know we work with percentages from big surveys and large samples so there's always like you know these are rough tools but if we divide americans into racial slash ethnic groups however you want to do it we know, for example, that rates of secularity are highest among Asian Americans. Okay. Hmm. And then it's really high among Jewish Americans. Sure. If, if you mm-hmm. consider Jews an ethnic group, as some people do. And then it's quite low among Latinos and slash Hispanics. And it's the lowest among African Americans. Okay. So what that means is, sure, there of course are secular African Americans. Mm-hmm. But they're, they're a distinct minority within their own group. So, I, and I don't have the percentages memorized okay. i have them in my office but but yeah it's a very small percentage african americans are the most likely to attend church the most believe in mm-hmm. god the most think the bible is the word of god the most you know compared to other racial groups even white people or whatever african americans are highly religious but there but there is also a long history of african american humanism hmm. w.e.b du bois richard wright like a lot of the like left-leaning kind of socialist hmm. blacks in the you know 30s and 40s often rejected religion. So there is a strain of African-American humanism going back quite a way, but it's a, it's okay. definitely a, a, a small tributary. Well, then perhaps uh, would you be confident to state like the kind of factors that would lead to the high religiosity? Like, is it socioeconomic? Yeah, um, I think it's a lot of things. I think, um, like with anything, I think historically religion, the black church has been so important to African-Americans when, when Africans were enslaved. Mm. All institutions were destroyed, family, mm-hmm. economy, edu- like any systems that were in place in Africa were all destroyed. The only institution that they were allowed to have any 
even semblance of agency was in the religious realm. Uh. So that was where okay, oh, they can they can gather on Sundays. I mean, if they're going to do if they're going to have a worship, a Christian worship, you know, the, so the black <laughs> church became kind of the only place they had a modicum of self-determination and the black yeah. preacher was the only kind vocation an african-american man could have hmm. that had any kind of authority over others you yeah. know uh -huh. and and um you know there were it, it came in different combinations in some places a white person had to always be present at a black congregation <laughs> make sure know, they didn't get the, out of hand yeah or... it depended on the state it <laughs> depended on the on the county i mean in some places the preacher had to be white but they in some places it was just no whites around and they were just doing their thing so i think there's a historical kind mm -hmm. of seed there that the black church has just played such a crucial and important role but it's also just the classic case of religion is a bomb when you're experiencing shitty social circumstances yeah I mean, sure you turn to your congregation your community your religion your faith your god if you're an enslaved people or if you're a downtrodden people but be even beyond that you could also see that like this biblical stories could also resonate psychologically like yes. you know the, the you know the story the, of let what my people, my people go. go yeah and so you have the old testament example of the jews being oppressed as slaves in egypt yes. and then god delivers them <laughs> and then you get to the new testament and kind of kind of have a suffering jesus so you can kind of like identify like mm -hmm. he suffered we're suffering you know so there's something obviously that resonated i mean i don't think it was just like imposed on them from above i mean it was like Clearly, the blacks enslaved by Muslims became Muslim, and the blacks enslaved by Christians became Christians, right. and the blacks enslaved by Baptists became Baptists. Right. I mean, but it obviously also resonated, too. And do you feel like that particular segment of the population has more to face when they want to leave? I mean... Absolutely. Yeah. I have interviewed African Americans who have said just that. Mm -hmm. I mean, anybody whose family is deeply religious, you know, when you leave, it, you can face a lot of... Not yeah. just, I mean, it, it runs the gamut. I mean, not just anger, but even sadness and pain. I mean, I've talked to a lot of apostates who were like, oh, yeah, you know, my, my parents were so mad at me. My mom would talk to me. You get that story. Mm -hmm. But you also get the story of, like, my mother was heartbroken. Like, right. it wasn't just, mm. it wasn't like, I'm mad at you. It's like, you're not going to go to heaven with me. Like, right. like they're, they're actually saddened. And people, yeah. like, don't want to put their family through that. But yeah. I've, I've interviewed quite a few African Americans who, who became free thinkers or who lost their faith or became atheist or didn't want to be religious and not only do they get like the barrage of constant emails of like I'm still praying for you you know for years just like I know you'll come back to the Lord mm. blah blah mm. which can be annoying but they get the they get the whole gamut and and I had one guy say to me that dating was difficult. This is an African American guy oh, who was, yeah. went to all he went to Oral Roberts University, went to oh, Liberty yeah. University, got master's degrees in church theology and apologetics. I mean, this dude went on missionary trips to Jamaica, to Mexico. I mean, he spent one summer on the subways of New York convert like trying to preach the word. I mean, totally a total believer, like as uh -huh. religious as you can get. And then in his late twenties, man, I mean, the doubts came. It took him a while, but mm. about after about three or four years he became a total atheist. Wow. And he said to me, you know, not only is his family just like, oh my God, devastated, but he's like, when I go on dates with black women, you know, 99% of the time, mm -hmm. if they find out I don't, I'm not a believer, it's over. Oh like, goodness. you know, he's sure. like, I have, it's almost impossible. And he's in the South. So, oh, and he was yeah. just saying like, so those are some of the anecdotes I hear. Yeah. yeah. I think it's really hard, but I don't think that's just black people. I mean, just anybody yeah, that's leaving a We've all highly, experienced Yeah. That. So there's those well, things. Well, what motivated you? to look into these questions like hmm. uh, did did you have your own experience of leaving a belief and i have but not not like religion i mean i'm a i'm a third generation 
non-believers. So. Okay. And yet you're so interested in the subject. Yeah. I mean, my all four of my grandparents were secular, irreligious. They wow. I mean, of different shades. Like my dad's parents were like radical, you know, Marxist, socialist, like hostile to religion. Like religion's part of what, you know, separates people and keeps people down and blah, blah, blah. So they were actively like anti-religious. Mm -hmm. This is back in the 20s and 30s. Mm -hmm. My when mom's parents were just they were just like irreligious in a very non, you know, like whatever. Way. Yeah, they were interested in Shakespeare and theater <laughs> and cinema and hiking and skiing. Like it didn't it concern them. It didn't concern about them. They weren't anti it. They just weren't religious at all. Mm -hmm. So when my mom and dad grew up, they were just raised totally secular. And then I was raised very secular in a very secular neighborhood on the Pacific Palisades. So I had no nothing that didn't rebel against anything. I mean, if anything, I'm like a product of my environment in the uh -huh. classic sense. Sure. You know, I was socialized this way. But I think the difference was for me that I noticed was as I was growing up, you know, most of my friends were secular. You know, they were like secular Jews or secular Episcopalians or lapsed Catholics. I mean, I didn't know any Bible thumpers. I didn't. I never had a teacher say like anything about religion. I mean, the stories I hear from my research, I'm like, oh, you know, I never had any of that. But my first girlfriend, my first serious girlfriend, when I was 15, she was 16, was the daughter of like a Baptist preacher, and they had come out west from like Tennessee, and he oh, was like wow. trying to save the heathens out here or whatever. He like that's like the beginning of a Tennessee Williams play. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you know, she was the classic like preacher's daughter, where she was partying hard, sex, drugs, rock and roll. But, <laughs> but so it didn't it, it didn't occur to me until like one day they invited me to their, to go to church one morning, mm -hmm. and it was like whoa, I had never been to an evangelical non denominational yeah. like serious ass church situation and then afterwards I was like well you don't clearly you don't believe this stuff and she was like no I do hmm. and I was like what are you talking about like <laughs> you actually believe in Jesus and uh -huh. Armageddon and she was just like yeah 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 the whole thing she bought it all uh -huh. and I've never really come face to face with that at, at 15 was like the first time so ever since then I was like really really fascinated in how people could be religious so you said to your girlfriend at the time I will spend the rest of my life getting to the bottom of in what's way, going on with yeah. you in a way and so like most of my non-religious friends didn't have that fixation. Like they were just nominally just mm -hmm. went on with their life, got into sports, music, yeah. whatever. But I was always kind of like drawn to religion, like a fucking bee to a flame or whatever you call it. Like I, I just like, I would go into Westwood and see the preachers on the sidewalk and I would like get into it with him. Like, <laughs> you know, we're all my friends. That's yeah. us. Yeah, exactly. All right. Like we're all my friends. Yeah. yeah. You know, everybody else was like, let's go to Taco Bell. Let's, Break dance or let's go see the movie. Taco or... Bell really figures in it's your life, doesn't it? And I don't even need <laughs> recurring meat theme. Yeah, yeah, you don't. Neither do I. Yeah, I'll uh, I mean, high five over the Okay, table. so but anyway, that's what we did on Friday nights before there was a Third Street Promenade. We took the number two bus to Westwood, went to Taco Bell, did some break dancing, caught a movie, whatever. Found okay. a, found a street preacher. Yes, right. dressed up like the Beastie Boys. I was the guy <laughs> with the with the unshaven face. So I spent like I don't know the next. 15, 20 years studying religion, like trying to understand it. How can people be religious? Why are people religious? And then in the midst of all that, I mean, that's what I did my graduate work on, got a job, I'm teaching sociology religion. And it occurred to me about five, six, seven years ago that nobody was studying secular people. Hmm. Hmm. And I was like, wait a minute, my whole family was secular. All my aunts and uncles and cousins, all my friends. I and mean, you'd read shit like, well, religion's a natural, essential, innate aspect of humanity. I'm like, 
my grandparents weren't really like who, what are they talking right. about yeah, your and whole world had done without world, these you know, essential and, and, components yeah and then you hear george w bush being like well the morals and values voters like religion provides morals and values i was like are you joking uh-huh. like what do you uh-huh. mean there's millions of people that aren't religious are you they, do you think they're all like you know biting the heads off rats and throwing rocks at old ladies like <laughs> are you kidding me so i am um, i sort of in a way was galvanized to sort of to tell the world that there's so many secular people and we haven't been studying them at all it's mm-hmm. as if they don't exist and they do and so that was kind of my aha moment where i um uh, and it turned out other scholars around the country were sit, like an anthropologist here, a historian there, mm. a psychologist there. When we would like meet at these like at these conferences that are about religion, and we'd be like, "Well, I'm actually studying atheists, and like, you're studying atheists? Like me too? Like there's no huh. literature, there's no body right. of research, there's no secular studies journal, there's no. I mean, that's all happening now because yeah. enough people are feeling this and 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 getting excited about it. But so that's what it was me. And then the only time I had a conversion was I was really, really, really Zionist, like, in college, you know? I was like, fuck, the Jewish people have been just totally screwed for centuries, and fuck that shit, we need our own country, (laughs) and we need Uh our own army, and this is bullshit, you know? Like, I had this, you know, I was just like, enough is enough, you know? Six million were killed, like, what more do you need? Like, should it have been seven million for us to get pissed? Like, Uh you know, so I was like, really into like, Jews need a country, and, and I mean, countries suck, but as long as they're countries, then we have to play by those rules because we didn't have a country and look where it got us. So we're mm. going to like, we have to do this. And so I was like really active. And even though I was always like left wing on every issue, like whatever, women's rights, gay rights, like with Israel, I was just like, no, you don't understand. Mm. Like we need to be able to have a country where we can defend ourselves. So I went and lived in Israel for a year. Okay. I wrote my parents a letter like, Jews need to live in Israel. That's the Jewish country. Like, what are we doing? We hmm. need to go and like, you know, and I was going to even like maybe join the army and I was going to like, marry, you know, I thought, oh, I'll marry wow. Israeli and we'll just move to Israel. So uh-huh. I go to Israel and I start working on a kibbutz near the Gaza Strip and I'm working every day with Palestinians from Gaza who come in on a truck at like five in the morning to do all the grunt work, like pick the actual fruit while I'm driving the tractor, you know, laying out the crates. And I was like, this is a kibbutz. Like kibbutzes are supposed to be socialist. Like there's no divide between worker and owner Mm. and everybody's a worker owner. And they're like, oh yeah, we all hire the Arabs now because they pick the fruit faster and we're on our computers, you know? And I'm like, (laughs) so, you know, every day I'm like drinking tea at the campfire with these Palestinians and, um, and I start reading the newspaper more and I, and I, witness some hardcore right-wing Zionist rallies. Mm-hmm. I see throngs of people chanting like death to Arabs over and over again. And you felt increasingly uncomfortable yeah, being Yeah, and I would like come them. up to them and I'd be like, you're chanting death to Arabs? Like, you know, to me mm-hmm. it resonated of like, this is what we were trying to, like, this, we're uh-huh. Jews. Like, we don't say death to people. Like, yeah. we were on the other side of it. So I just, I had one experience after another, after another, I started cutting out. So I started a file where every time like, a Palestinian kid was shot in the eye or something. Mm. I cut that out. And this was in the Israeli papers. I wasn't even reading like some underground fucking, you know. Right. I was like reading the Jerusalem Post in English, but it was still like, yeah, you know, a 13-year-old lost an arm today. So I just, the file got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I just totally became very like pro-Palestinian, pro-Palestinian rights. I saw that Israel was in the wrong and and on the Palestinian question. I mean, so that was, I guess, my biggest like switch around. In high school, I got totally in the Ouija board. Yeah, okay, and it was did so you, much fun. Would you say though that you actually believed that there was a spirit that you were channeling that was giving you answers? No, but but shit would move. 
Yeah, yeah idiomatic motor, motor movement. I guess is that what they call Idiomotor it? Idiomotor effect. I mean, yeah, like it's the same thing that's so used on fun. dowsing rods. It was so cool. When I was young, I thought that those were evil. You know, mm-hmm. the yeah. Ouija boards. Yeah, yeah. There was a girl in high school who who was so freaked out by me doing it that I saw her later at a party years later, and she's like, "I thought you were the devil." <laughs> oh my <laughs> cool. goodness! But see, like, to me, yeah, it was just cool, so huh? yeah. I was like, wow. What 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 must it be like to live in in a world like that? Like mm-hmm. I can't even really imagine it. Well, I was gonna ask. Like after talking to all these people, is the mind of the believer still like an inscrutable mystery to you? I'm gonna have to say yes. But I'll qualify that. Every now and then, I meet a believer where I'm just like, how does this person believe this stuff? Like mm. I totally understand that if you're raised in a religion. It's all you know. If your parents are it, like, I just really believe in the power of socialization for anything. Like, we live, we, we learn what we live. So I totally get it. If people are raising it, their loved ones are it. Like, it makes total sense that people would be Mormon if that's all they know. They're taught that the world, you know, persecutes them, doesn't understand them. I mean, mm-hmm. they're raising it. They're cultivated. I totally understand why most people. And I just saw an interesting study which said that kids, young children they learn what they are before they even learn the beliefs. So right. they know right. I'm a Jew yeah. or I'm a Mormon or I'm a Christian. As a, and and that's, a, that's such a powerful, now that's my team, that's yeah. my group. And that filters how you take information. So you will, you will it's so, we're such pack animals that will accept the beliefs uh-huh. because, well, that's what our team believes. I see it with my daughter. Mm. She, she, she'll say to me like, well, what do Jews believe? Mm. Uh-huh. And I can fucking say like, we believe leprechauns pick their noses, you know? Right. And she'd be like, oh, well, I can kind of see that. You know, right. like, right. If yeah. that's what Jews believe, and you make you're a compelling case for exactly. that. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I understand that. I also understand the tremendous comfort and support people get from religion. So, for example, someone that I know who, who had breast implants, something was going wrong with them, goes to the hospital or whatever, and as they're dealing with the breast implants, discovers some cancer cells so like really early stage breast cancer so so this individual is like like god was looking out for me because the breast cancer was discovered early see like Uh god was Uh you see so i saw how this person interpreted like a really bad thing in in a positive way like oh i had to have a double mastectomy but thank the lord Mm -hmm. you know so i'm like okay religion comforts people when shit's bad and they'll twist it however even even though it's illogical but i get those aspects there's a lot of aspects of religion i get but every now and then i meet someone usually a really really smart person like i taught Mm. a a graduate seminar at cgu last year and there was a brilliant sharp articulate student in his late 20s who has a radio show of his own He's like teaches at Baptist College or something. He has like an apologetics show. He's, he's brilliant. And every seminar, we would just get into these debates where I was just like, you actually believe there's a hell? Hmm. I mean, this is a guy who's like reading the highest level philosophy and knows history and knows like so smart and like believes the Bible is word for word from God. Like, so that shit is where I just, I finally just go, what? I don't get this. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's it, there's some days where I was like, I, where I understand religion, and other days I just throw up my hands and say, you know, and in a way, part of the reason I stopped studying religious people was because I was teaching a religious studies class where we would go visit different religious groups. You know, I take the van from Pitts or I have a small seminar. We go visit the Mormons. We 
meet with them for an hour and mm. they give us a tour. Then we mm -hmm. go to a mosque and then we go to the Baha'is. And then, you know, like, just Fun. like learning about religion in our community. The students love it. I found myself getting increasingly nauseous. Like, I just couldn't take it anymore. Oh, really? I was just like, mm. I can't hear this nonsense again. Like, you know, what was fascinating for 15 years where I'd really listen and be like, so you believe this? I finally was just like, you know, this denominational guy is talking about the devil. And then we go to this Orthodox Jew who's talking about how he can, you know, Jews have this magic power. And then we go to the Scientologist. Like, like I finally one day was like, this stuff is driving me nuts. Like, I can't study this. It's making me not, like, you shouldn't study something that makes you sick. Like, at a certain point, you, <laughs> sure. like, that's, you're in the wrong business. <laughs> right. That's why I'm and not a doctor. It, yeah. yeah. So I started to go, like, I'm not enjoying, like, there's a lot of religion I like, and a lot of religion I respect, and a lot of religion I enjoy, and a lot of religion I do. We do a lot of rituals, because I'm really into rituals. But part of my shift to studying secular people was suddenly like, you know what, maybe I should study a group of people that like I want to hear stories about how people mm -hmm. lost their faith it's inspiring mm -hmm. to me well that's that's interesting that's certainly where we differ from you I mean we love oh, now it should be said we haven't been doing this for 15 years so maybe right. we'll get there <laughs> but uh, we love like showing up and having all these different experiences yeah well I think you are you guys are doing from what you've told me it's a very experiential thing it is so I can yes. see like if you were gonna like do this like we're gonna have this experience we're gonna don this hat I think there's something really phenomenological. I don't know if that's even the right word. I don't even know what it means, but that's what's coming to my mind. <laughs> like there's something experiential that I can see is really fun. Mm -hmm. But um, for me, it was purely intellectual. I was just being analytical. I was just trying to hear what people were saying. And, I was, and finally one day I was just like, what you're saying is fucking nonsense. Mm -hmm. And you're an articulate person and you don't see that. And it's starting to, I'm having a hard time with it. It's like, I just couldn't, take it anymore yeah, it was just well, like do you hear what you're saying right what do you think is like a good approach like with children what, what's the best way to kind of inoculate their minds or you know uh prepare them to think critically to ask the right questions do you think it would be a good idea to expose them to lots of religion kind of like daniel dennett mm -hmm. um suggests or none whatsoever what, what would be your approach to that the only to me, the only thing that works, I think, with kids is honesty mm -hmm. on anything. Mm -hmm. they, they can smell when you're not being honest. So, so if you are like, well, I'm going to expose my kids to all these religions with some agenda, like this is what one should do, uh -huh. they'll sense the, that it's not genuine. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. Now, if you genuinely think it's interesting, uh -huh. like, hey, let's go see what's happening at the Unitarian Church. Let's check out the Jews. It's like, because you find that interesting, I think they'd be like, well, that's cool. Mm -hmm. So it, it all depends if it's coming from like a sincere, honest motivation. I also think it's great. I think you're burdening your children if you make them anti-religious because mm -hmm. that's a drag like mm -hmm. then they have to like hate on people like, right. like yeah, you're sure. just you're just giving them bad vibes so yeah i think it's better to like not be overly negative like i don't know one day my daughter came home asking about the mormons and it was it was a little awkward because i'm like i know a fucking lot about them i mean mm -hmm. i've read tons of stuff on this like do you really want to know oh she had a good friend that's what it was she had a good friend at school who was mormon oh, and she okay. kind of asked me and i was like she's like well what do mormons believe because you know piper's a mormon and then I was like, well, do you want the long version of the short version? She's like, well, I just want to know. And I was like, well, this is what I can tell you. And I'm t I told her the whole Joseph Smith thing. I told her the golden plates. I told her the whole, you've seen the, you've seen the um, South Park episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was telling her all that before that, you know, uh -huh. about, you know, then, then the play. You know. But then at the end I said, but Ruby, whatever religion a person is, it doesn't matter what they believe or what they say they believe or what they experience. Like, are they a good, nice, kind person or not? 
Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. the only thing you should care about. And if Piper's a good, nice, kind person, that's wonderful. And if, you know, like, and I just, I don't know if it worked, but that was kind of my approach. But yeah. every now and then I screw up. Like, like one time my other daughter, my younger daughter, um, was having a birthday. And they were, it was in the middle of the activities, whatever. They were having lunch. They were having lemonade and cupcakes or whatever out in the thing. And one of the girls there started crying. And I came out and said, what's going on? Like, we were, we were going back and forth. And she's like, well, so-and-so said she was a Christian. And I said that Christians steal everything. Oh, no. <laughs> and I was like, what do you, why would you? She's like, and she's like, well, you said that the other day. And I was like, oh, you no. never said that? And she's like, yeah, you were talking about Christmas. And I was oh, like, yeah. oh, like the pagan origins right. of Christmas uh-huh. and, the, and the worship of the tree and how then the Christians uh-huh. came into Europe and, and this, you know, and they were in Saturnalia. And I was talking about like, you know, at the winter solstice. Right. And I just see you with this little girl. No, honey, I was yeah. making a point about syncretism. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly. But at some point I was like, I must have said like, the, the Christians steal everything like Easter eggs comes from is right. pagan and the rabbit is pagan oh. and even the name Easter is a pagan goddess from mm. Ireland you know and I felt so terrible because oh all goodness. she heard was like oh Christians steal everything right, indirectly right. you yeah. made a little girl cry and if this is the same daughter yeah and this is the same daughter who we had there used to be two pizza places in Claremont and we, we, we would be like, well, do we want pizza and such, or do we want the other one? And we didn't ever know what the other one was called, but we knew it was like two Egyptian brothers. Uh-huh. And so we were like, well, do we want to go to the Egyptian one? And, and my daughter's like, no, no, I don't want to go there. I'm like, why? She's like, because the Egyptians, you know, enslaved and killed the Jews. Like, we had, she'd been to a Passover oh. dinner where you read about, like, we were slaves right. in Egypt land and let my people go. And, we, you know, it's just so funny how you don't know what they're going to take. Oh, my goodness. How old is your daughter? Now... One's about to be 14, one's about to be 11, and my son's about to be 6. Oh, okay. They all have their birthdays in the spring. I'm always curious with um, non-believers how you handle if you do the um, Santa Claus. Yeah, I struggle with that, too, because part of me was like, oh, you shouldn't cultivate credulity, you know? You mm-hmm. you want to cultivate critical thinking, and you so you shouldn't tell kids about um, the Tooth Fairy and Santa Claus because, but you know what? I totally call bullshit on that, and I just think, like, it's fun, it's magical, and maybe I made a mistake, but we totally told them about Santa Claus. Amen, brother. And they, you know, they enjoyed it for a spell, but I have another, you just tell me if I'm rambling, but I have another anecdote of the dark side of that. Yeah, so I my, do too. Okay, because really? my oh yeah, yeah, a few. Yeah, I know okay. a few people who are like scarred for life over their parents lying to them what? about that. Like, well, really take it personally. My boy still think Santa Claus is real but he's it's really just the other day he was like okay wait a minute he thinks Santa Claus like exists forever Um. so he was like so when the whole world ends Santa Claus will still be there and I'm like Uh I guess so and then yesterday he was like so if Santa Claus gets shot he won't die. <laughs> like he's really working on like right. kind of like. Yeah, I have a ten-year-old son, and we've done the Santa Claus thing, and I I thought about it a lot, but like my main point was that no one escapes to adulthood with an intact belief in Santa Claus. Right. So I figure it, it becomes like an object lesson in learning that, you know, people can lie to you to kind of perpetuate a cultural thing. Yeah. And I'd never I'd never seen what you're referring to, which is people being oh, scarred really? by it. Oh, yeah, like uh, my best friend, her um, dad to this day, who's, you know, 60-something, will talk about how pissed he is at his parents. When he found that it teaching. wasn't true? He's still mad. He still, like, finds that very offensive, and he'll get kind of, like, hot under the collar Whoa. if you bring it up. Wow. Yeah. What a trip. 
But that story that you just told reminded me that you had, I think you told it at the Orange County Free Thought Alliance where Ross and I heard you speak. And after that talk, uh, I asked you a question. You had said that you encouraged parents to take their kids and like learn about different religions. Mm -hmm. And like you say, as long as it's an honest interest. Mm -hmm. And I... I came to the microphone and said, like, I agree with you, but at the same time, my parents weren't that religious, but then I went to church camp, and I I caught religion, and yeah, and that for me, if I had a little girl, and she said she wanted to go to church camp, it Mm. would be hard for me to say, oh yeah, try it out, you know, Mm. Um, and you said afterward that you had heard lots of church camp stories, and I wondered if you could comment on that. Yeah, so for the book Faith No More, I interviewed about 90 Americans who had been religious, but are no longer and that's just the 90 like official interviews where I sat down with a tape recorder or they signed a consent form blah 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 but of course I've talked to a zillion other people just informally and a lot of people talk about that the power of Christian camp and that they describe it in terms of the like almost like psychological brainwashing manipulation in that you are away from everything, you know, you're away from home, mm-hmm. you're in this very intimate setting, and everything is kind of geared up mm-hmm. towards that final night or weekend. Cry night. Right, where you are going to, you know, everything, you're talking about it, you're talking about it, but you are going to be moved by the Holy Spirit, you are going to mm-hmm. accept Jesus, like, and that's the big thing. And and they talked about even what, what they described as like kind of weird military tactics, like you're up a lot, you're not getting a lot of sleep, mm. you're, you're not maybe getting a lot of food, or, you know, like it's just, and then, and then it's very intense, and the music, and the motivational speaker, yeah. and the heartbreaking story about I got AIDS, but now I have Jesus. I had the church camp experience too, okay. and that was a major turning point. The only time I spoke in tongues. Wow, yeah. yeah. If my kid wanted to go to a summer camp like that, it would be very tough. And I think to me it would be like, I guess, an age thing. Mm-hmm. You know, at a certain point, you know, if I felt my daughter was old enough to make those kind of decisions, I'd be like, well, I wish you well. Yeah, And if sure. she was younger, I would be like, ah, it's not, I'm your parent and I don't think that's good for you right now. But, yeah, but I mean, I guess, Carrie, you bring up something that, you know, I was only in the beginning stages of my research, I think. No, I had done my interviews, but I hadn't really analyzed them much. But one of the things that came out for me with that Faith No More was, like, I I remember when I read, like, Hitchens and Dawkins, and they would sort of describe religion as child abuse. You know, that was one of those things where, like, I would be like, well, I guess I'm just a not a new atheist because mm-hmm. I just felt like that's extreme. Mm. And I'm like, give mm. me a freaking break. There's, mm-hmm. there's abuse in all kinds of movements and there's, you know, most people are great. And I, I really didn't, I thought like, that's a bit much, that's a bit rich. I mean, come on, religion maybe has bad things, but it also has good things. And you know, kids get a lot of it. But, but then I heard stories that I, I mean, frightening stories where I was like, oh, mm. like when kids really believe there's a devil, yeah. that's, uh-huh. that's, Horrible. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. that is hor- and I heard so many horrible stories from people who were like, "You don't understand the depths of fear." I, I, you know, where I went, I, I interviewed people whose parents were exorcists and mm-hmm. were performing exorcisms and bringing their kids. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I didn't. So I kind of tempered my. I kind of was like, "No, certain forms of religion, be it Islam, Judaism, or Christianity, can be damaging for kids. Mm-hmm. Certain forms, sure. but they're pretty abundant." So you have studied all these different apostates. Mm-hmm. Are Ross and I typical? So we're <laughs> we are two former Christians. Former Christians 
um, middle upper class white yeah. kids who came from semi-evangelical backgrounds. I'd have to know a bit more. <laughs> yeah, if you're okay, typical. Well, so, yeah, so, I was gonna say. Okay, so do you support gay rights? Yes. yes. I, would you describe yourself as like left-leaning uh, politically? Yes. yes. Okay. And were both of your parents strong believers, or was at least one of your parents a bit lukewarm? Pretty strong. Both, both lukewarm. Both of yours were strong. strong. You are quite typical. I'd have to know quite a bit more. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, to be well, quite honest. Sure. But, but but I can tell you there are certain key correlates. So men tend to be more likely to be apostates than women. Okay. So in that case, Ross is Bam. more. You're more exceptional. I win. Good. People with what we call an intellectual orientation are more uh -huh. likely to be apostates. So uh -huh. um, how we do both you get define that? But you know, people that are <laughs> how do you define smartness? How do you define intellectual? Is tricky. But but well, we few, like to think that we set the standard rather than referring to another there you standard. Go. Okay, yeah. that's so that's fairly typical. Okay. I think we both <laughs> we both get a point for that one. The fact that you're left leaning is extremely typical okay. of apostates. Um, and what else can I ask? Um, Often apostates have one or at least one parent who was a little lukewarm, mm. and the kids could pick up on that. Not okay. always, but that's that's a fairly consistent pattern. And then, of course, I would have to know what triggered your your doubts and what mm. triggered your loss of faith, because there are certain key things that come up again and again. For most people, it's a long process, and mm. it's several things at play. Sure. So rarely is it like, oh, this happens. So when you said... I read Richard Dawkins, and that was that. I think I heard that from maybe one or two other out of nine. Uh -huh. you know, like I mean, that is the elevator speech, though, of course. Right, you know, I okay, mean, right. That was maybe longer. the, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, and the fact that, yeah, white, upper, middle class, uh, you know, class is tricky. I think, I think it's really, what I learned from my interviews was actually the sociological rules were not as important as the psychological stuff. Oh, okay. I, I actually found that there were more psychological correlates that like about personality, about intellectual orientations, political orientations, attitudes about other things that correlate with. Mm -hmm. But I did not find an airtight like mm -hmm. explanation for apostasy. I basically collected stories, tried to see patterns, and present them in a somewhat like analytical framework. But it's a bit of a mystery sometimes. I mean, I, I some of the stories are quite disparate, and sure. you're just like, wow. You know, like Joe mm. Bang does not fit the <laughs> classic, but there he was, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I guess you're both fairly typical. <laughs> All right, so last couple questions here. Aren't there successful religious societies? Oh, or no? absolutely. This is what I would say. Religion is created by people. It's a human construction, like philosophy or art. Like it comes out of human culture. It grows out of human culture. Religion thus encompasses all that's in humanity, the good, the noble, the altruistic, and the jealous and petty and evil. Like, mm -hmm. it's just one giant fucking puking of our hopes, our fears, our <laughs> dreams, our fantasies, our morals, our love, our struggles. It's all there in religion. Like, it's just a giant projection. So I always say to people, like, well, there's a lot of good in humanity. So that's going to be in religion, too. Like, sure. You know, and so I feel like religion um, has contributed to many aspects of stable societies. I feel it has 
improved the lot of people at certain times in history. I feel it has actually fostered education and healthcare and, mm-hmm. and a lot of innovations. Um, but you know, you just have to decide like, well, where in history are you, what are you comparing to what period mm-hmm. and, and how do we know it's religion that did that and not something else? But I would certainly argue that there are have been and can be very harmonious and successful religious societies or societies that are strong religious. Now, on the, um, on the other side of that, though, I think religion can sometimes also be an extreme contributor to hostility and acrimony and problems. I mean, mm-hmm. from, you know, belief in a caste system to, you know, Serbs against Croats. I mean, religion often inflames ethnic tensions and hostilities, and it often aggravates, in, you know, us against them type of sentiments but I don't I would never say that it's always bad or never mm-hmm. can be good so Phil for our listeners mm. first of all where can they find you mm. you mean if they want to contact me well if they want to hear more from you they if they want to come to your house like we've just <laughs> <laughs> well I guess if you google me you'll mm-hmm. see a lot of my Huffington Post google, articles where's just, that I mean if you just put Phil Zuckerman in google mm-hmm. yeah, I don't have easy. a website okay. I have a faculty page through Pitzer which lists like I don't know, some of my articles, my books, and but my Huffington Post pieces you can just find if you just Google me. There's a lot of um, people have made a lot of YouTube clips of my talks at various places. Mm-hmm. Then you can watch a ton of those. Well, yeah. Tell us about your new book. Faith No More, Why People Reject Religion, Oxford University Press. You can get it on Amazon.com. I think it's really a good read. I'm looking at too. it right now. Um, it's gotten four reviews on Amazon that are quite positive. <laughs> yeah. Nice. And uh, you were reviewed by Sam Harris, weren't you? You know, Sam has been a huge help for me. He he really liked Society Without God and gave it a real big boost. He like gave it a quote on the back, but he also like pushed it in, in his on his website or something and That's it really great. helped me uh, Jennifer Michael Heck did as yeah. well yeah, yeah she's awesome and so Sam really he's been really supportive of me she carries around with her a large <laughs> printout of his head. Around, okay, okay. Let me set the record oh, straight. That's funny. There is a large cardboard cutout of Sam Harris's face. Oh, that's so now funny. the Center for Inquiry had it in the bookstore, oh, that's so and I funny. said to myself. Who can use this better than me? Oh, that's so nobody. Oh, she's so used it. So, so I, so I went to Jim Underdown, who's the executive director there, and said, "I want this." And he said, "You can have it in two weeks." So I don't know why that arbitrary number. Oh, so I wrote funny. on the back of it. You wanted this, to make sure you really wanted it, right? I wrote, "This belongs to Carrie Poppy, not you." And I was there <laughs> two weeks later, and I said, "I want my fucking Sam it. Harris head." And awesome. I grabbed it, and now I keep it next to my computer. So whenever so I. Awesome. Skype chat with people. I start out where they have to look at Sam that Harris. That is first. so fun. Well, that's it for our show. Thank you so much to Phil Zuckerman for having us in his home. Thank you, Phil. You can find us on the internet at onopodcast.com or you can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash onrack. That's O-N-R-A-C. And we'd like to thank our theme music composer, Brian Keith Dalton. Of Mr. Deity fame. And you can go to MrDeity.com to see more of Brian's exploits. We'd like to thank our producer, Ian Kramer. He makes us sound better. He sure does. And everybody, remember... That it's never too late to don a pan costume. (laughs) (laughs) It's never, never too late.